1: Remember, you've heard this before, whichever one you feed the most is going to be the strongest. If you feed to the flesh, your flesh is going to be pretty strong. However, if you feed the spirit, your spirit will be stronger. Your spirit will get much stronger. Here you see Nehemiah giving us a good example of what to do. He is praying and fasting. He is praying, so now he wants his spirit to get stronger. He needs his spirit to be as strong as
0: possible. In a season of fasting, we put the needs of our worshipful spirit over our fleshly desires. Nehemiah knew this very well, and instead of being anxious in his situation, he fed his spirit and sought after God. Pastor Dave challenges us to feed our spirit in times of need instead of worrying about our flesh. What could be accomplished if you fed your spirit today? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 as he continues his message, Introduction.
1: Nehemiah weeps. He cries for them. He cries for them because his people are in trouble. His people are hurting. How long has it been since you've wept over somebody else's problems? Oh, how I wish we were people who would weep for each other, especially the sin of others, how we would weep for them and get on our knees. We really need to take problems to heart and think about what God is doing. Do we agonize over others in prayer? Do we really agonize over them? I'm guilty as the next person. Listen, I'm not trying to stand up here and point at you. I'm just as guilty as the next person. Paul said something like this in Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 2, in verse 4, he says this for Paul, out of much affliction, and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. The apostle Paul was this way. He agonized over the Corinthian church because of their wrongdoing, because they were in trouble. Paul agonized. Look what else he says in Acts 20. In Acts 20, verse 31, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. With tears. Are you driven to tears by someone who is stuck in sin? Are you driven to tears by someone who has faded away? Someone who has gone astray? Are you driven by tears over that person? Or maybe you see someone walking down the street and all of a sudden your heart just breaks for that person. Your heart just melts for that person. You're driven to tears over that person's plight. Burden move you to tears. And then it should move you to pray. After you've been moved to tears, it should move you to pray. Nehemiah was caring and he wept about the condition of the people in Israel but he was also determined. He had a determination in him and he was determined to do something about it. Nehemiah did more than cry about it. He prayed about it. Not only was Nehemiah caring, but he was determined, as I said. He knew God would do something. He knew that God would do something about the problem in Jerusalem because he knew how God felt about the holy city. So in verse 4b, he says, I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. So it was then when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He prayed over the conditions of the people. He prayed over their plight. We need to be people of prayer. Paul is a great example for us. As I showed you, he prayed for the Ephesian elders. He prayed for the church of Ephesus. How many times do you read? never ceasing to make mention of you in my prayers, he begins his epistles with as he talks to these people. We should be people of prayer. Why? Because we are in intense spiritual warfare. And our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds of the enemy. Prayer is the deciding factor in the spiritual battle. And that is why Satan fights so hard to keep you from praying. Prayer can change this battle for you. We are called to pray. God's army moves on his knees. Not only did Nehemiah pray, but he fasted. God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation. But in order for this to happen, God had to do something in Nehemiah. God had called him and he was going to use them, but he had to do something in Nehemiah. And I believe that this is what God does. God calls you to a ministry and then he prepares you for that ministry by doing something in you, working in you. And I see this all the time. I love what Guzik says about this, quote, any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. One of my favorite scriptures, I keep going back to it, I love it. And I keep going back for a while. Second Chronicles 16 in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is always looking for a heart he can use. Always looking for someone that he can fill with the Holy Spirit, that he can anoint with power and bring to the point where they will do something for him. He has a work for you to do. But then he has to do a work in you to get you ready for that work. Are you available? We like to call it fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Are you those things? Are you available if God calls? Are you available if God calls you today and says, I want you to do something. Would you make yourself ready for him and available to yourself so that he can then begin the work in you to prepare you for that work? I don't know. God had this ready for a long time ago. Why? How do I know? Because Nehemiah was in a very, very important position. Nehemiah had already acquired an important position, especially for a Jew in a foreign land. We'll talk about that in a while. With his important position in Persia, with a heart that was curious for the welfare of Jerusalem, God started to put together and said, hey, I can use this guy. So he started to do a work in Nehemiah and he breaks his heart over their needy state. God saw the need while he was in heaven, but little would be done until the right man or woman is found. God could do something great to meet the need through Nehemiah. But there was no way Nehemiah could do this by himself. He had to be a leader. He couldn't do this by himself. He had to lead others to do this. And this book that we're studying is about leadership. It's about Nehemiah being a great leader. And one of the great things about a leader is, number one, he has a heart for the people and he has a prayer ministry. A heart for the people and he prays. You can see those two things already coming up. Leadership is influence. Leadership applies to everyone. Everyone has an area of leadership in some way or another. Each one is a leader. The question is, are you a good leader or a bad leader? Everyone has a leader. What do you mean I have a leader? Well, if you're a parent, you're a leadership over your children. If you're married, you're a leadership in the household. If you're a man, you're the spiritual leader in the household. If you're at work, you have positions. You are in leadership, leading people to Christ, showing people Jesus. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. You know, we talked about this in Ezra. Fasting is found in both Testaments. The Apostle Paul prayed fasting. What is fasting? It's denying the flesh to feed the spirit. I deny my flesh to feed the spirit. What I usually do, I feed the flesh first. I deny the spirit and feed the flesh. I like to eat three meals a day, plus a snack here or there and everywhere. And sometimes, unfortunately, I don't feed the spirit. And I wonder why I have difficulties. No wonder we're often spiritually defeated when we go into battle because of the lust of the flesh. We don't feed the spirit. Fasting reverses everything. We feed the spirit as we deny the flesh. The spirit becomes strong as the flesh becomes weaker. All kinds of fast. we talked about it before. You can fast food. You can fast certain kinds of food like Daniel did. You can fast TV. You can fast phone. You can fast all sorts of things. You can fast a meal, either one meal a day or several days or whatever, But what you do in place of those things is you seek the Lord. You seek the Lord. During that time, you would normally be doing that. If you're fasting a meal, during the time you would normally eat that meal, you would pray. You would read your word. You would get close to God. If you're fasting TV, during that time when you're loosely watching TV, you turn the TV off and you get close to God. You're giving up the flesh and you're looking to the spirit. Remember, you've heard this before, whichever one you feed the most is going to be the strongest. If you feed to the flesh, your flesh is going to be pretty strong. However, if you feed the spirit, your spirit will be stronger. Your spirit will get much stronger. Here you see Nehemiah giving us a good example of what to do. He is praying and fasting. He is praying, so now he wants his spirit to get stronger. He needs his spirit to be as strong as possible. He immediately knew what to do. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't say, I wonder who can fix this problem. No. He started immediately doing what he thought he could do. He prayed and intensely sought God. God, what are we going to do? The God of heaven, Nehemiah sought. Nehemiah also made a clear understanding of whom he fasted and prayed to. Wasn't the God of TV wasn't the God of Facebook or any other device. It was the God of heaven. Unfortunately, we trust in many gods, but only one God in heaven can meet our needs. There's only one God that can meet all our needs. Look at Nehemiah's prayer. We're going to read the whole prayer, and then we'll go back and look at it a little bit as we go through. Look at his prayer from verses 5 through 11. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant mercy in the sight of this man. In the sight of this man. He addresses. What a beautiful way to pray. He makes the address. I am convinced that one of the most important parts of us prayer is, Who are you talking to? Who are you addressing the prayer to? Jehovah, God of heaven. He describes him. The great and awesome God. The God who keeps covenant and mercy for them who love him. He says, Attend your ear to me. Please listen to me. Keep your eyes open to the prayers that the servant's going to give you night and day. This burden was something that was so strong upon his heart he couldn't keep silent. It seems that throughout the day and through the night we're offering prayers for a particular situation. I know I do, but what follows this? A confession of sin. Confession of sin is always good in prayer. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Lord, I've sinned. And he says, not only me, but my father's before me. He's confessing for the nation. He's confessing for the whole nation. He didn't blame God for the problems. Lord, you let them be taken away. Now you got to deal with them. He accepted full responsibility, realizing that the results of sin of the people. He knew it was their sin, their idolatry that caused them to be carried away for all those years. He knew that. And now he's confessed it You know, many people want to blame God for everything that goes wrong in their lives. But he asked God to remember his promises. God promised Moses that if the people would transgress his laws, he would scatter them. He also promised them that if they returned to him and keep his commandments, he would gather them back again and place them in a great place. How often do you remind God of his promises? When I ask God to remember his promises, I'm not saying, Lord, you forgot your promises, so I need to remind you. It's not what I'm saying. What am I saying when I'm reminding God of his promises? Who am I reminding of God's promises? Me. When I remind God of his promises, I'm reciting all his promises and they're for me. God hasn't forgot his promises. He knows them all too well. He's God. But as we confess to him and remind him of his promises, we're reminded, and that gives us great hope, and that surely helps us in our time of need. It gives us great feeling. When you pray for the sick, you can pray that the Lord, our God, that heals us. He is a God who heals. It says so in scriptures. You're not reminding him that he's a God who heals. You're stating a fact. Our God is a God who heals, and it's giving us encouragement. Lord, you have promised that if two or three agree in your name... Anything, you will do it. That's reminding God of his promises. See what I'm saying here? He said, call on me in the day of trouble and I will hear you. And I will show you great and mighty things. Lord, you said call on you. and I'm calling you right now, Lord. Show me these great things that I asked for. Attend your ear to me. I'm not telling God, you forgot your promise. I'm remind- no, I'm, I'm reminding myself. It's giving me faith. It's bolstering my faith. I'm getting excited. It increases my faith. It makes my faith strong when I remember his promises. He finally says, "O oh Lord, I beseech you. In other words, I beg of you, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And look what he says. He says, I pray and grant mercy in the sight of this man. Who's he talking about? Who is this man he's talking about? This is the king, Artaxerxes. He is going to get the gumption and will from the Holy Spirit to go to this man and inquire about the Jerusalem and the walls. That's what he says. He said, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At this time, these kings are powerful dudes, man. These kings are powerful, and they can lop your head off in one fell swoop. With a blink of an eye, they can take you down. But this burden was continually on his heart. And there are these issues that arise all the time that are on our hearts, and we need to pray for them throughout the day to seek the Lord. Lord, help me. You may be going into an interview. You may be having a difficulty with someone. You may be having difficulty with uh, who knows. Lord, have mercy on me and give give me a good spot with this man, with this person. Let me speak to them your truth. Give them ears to hear what I'm trying to say to you. These are all great pairs. We need to remind God and remind ourselves. Prayers of your servant, those of you died. Then we get a little bit more information about Nehemiah. The last sentence in the chapter for I was the king's cupbearer. What does the cupbearer do? What is a cupbearer? It appears a lot in scripture. What is the king's cupbearer? He's the poison checker. He's the one that takes the king's wine and drinks it first. If there's any poison in it, he dies, and the king doesn't. Carl's our cupbearer on Monday nights. All the food that comes in on Monday night, Carl tests so nobody gets sick. And I'm happy about that, Carl. Thanks, you pal, for doing that for me, you know. And I have to confess, I'm the cupbearer on um, Saturday morning breakfasts because I'm in the kitchen tasting all the things to make sure nobody gets sick. So thanks. I'll do it for you guys. But that's what the cupbearer does. This is a very, very, very high and lofty position. It is extremely, extremely. You just don't let anybody be your cupbearer. This guy's got a grudge against me. I can't let him be my cupbearer. He'll let some poison slip by. Next thing you know, I'm a goner. The cupbearer was a very, very, very important position. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. And he goes in now. And this is going to give him entrance into the king because the king knows him. The king is aware of him. The king has seen him probably on a daily basis as the king drinks. Every time the king goes to drink, Nehemiah has to take the cup and sip it and then take it to the king. So that the king knows that the cup is safe to drink. So the king is going to see something in Nehemiah that is going to cause concern to the king. And what he sees in Nehemiah as we begin chapter 2 is Nehemiah's countenance. Nehemiah's countenance is not good. Why? Because he's grieved over what's happening in Jerusalem. Have you ever been so grieved that people can look at you and go, wow, what's wrong? Well, this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is so upset. He's been crying and fasting all day, all night. He's been crying out to the Lord. He's probably drawn. He's probably a little past ashen, and he's probably hurting. And the king's going to see this and say, what's wrong with you? This opens the door for Nehemiah to talk to the king. God has it all under control. But the main thing you have to realize that this is all set up because of his prayer. Because Nehemiah is praying to God that he'll do this. He's already in the position. He is the cupbearer. He's already there. And now God is going to use him mightily. What does this tell me? It tells me that God will use you right where you are. Wherever you are, God is going to use you because he's probably placed you there anyway. He's probably placed you right there for such a time as this. He's put you in that spot so that he can use you in that spot to reach others for him. To do something mighty for him. And this is what I see God doing. And God does this all the time. So we see this. We see this. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, in the month of Nisan. Now, Nisan is around April, which is the same time they do the uh, Passover. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. There it is. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, there is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Good words to say to the king. Why should my face not be sad when the city of the place of my father's tombs lies in waste and its gates are burned to fire? Wow. So see, he has this opening because he prayed he fasted, he had the position, and when the time came, he didn't have to say a word. He goes in there, and the king says, what are you sad for? I've never seen you sad before. What's wrong? Open door. God opens a door that no man can shut. He opens that door, and Nehemiah walks right through that door and says, okay, king, this is why I'm so sad, and he gets to tell them about the walls, and this opens up a whole new adventure for Nehemiah. It opens up a whole new adventure for Nehemiah because the king then is going to write a letter giving Nehemiah now a passage to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to go with yet another group, another group of survivors from Babylonian to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And we studied this on Palm Sunday. When this letter is given When this letter is given by Artaxerxes, remember, it starts the time clock. The time clock of Daniel's prophecy, of Daniel's 70-year prophecy in Daniel 9. When the letter is given from Artaxerxes to go rebuild Jerusalem, the time clock starts until what? The coming Messiah. Until Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday of 32 AD. 178,000. 883 days later Jesus goes into Jerusalem So this is a very important thing This is very very important What's happening here that God is setting up Because of Daniel's prophecy And you read chapter 9 of Daniel To figure out the prophecy We'll talk about that when we get into chapter 2 a little bit more When when the letter is given To Nehemiah So this is Nehemiah This is who we're studying He's a great leader We're going to learn a lot about leadership A lot about prayer A lot about trusting in the Lord for different things. You are sure
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Nehemiah, a book that follows Nehemiah and his exceptional leadership as he guides the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah followed the lead of the Lord, and it's clear he was in God's will as he prepared to go and received blessing and favor from the king. But once he steps out to go, he encounters trial after trial. Have you ever noticed that following God looks like that? You know you're supposed to go, but when you finally step out in faith, that's when the attack of the enemy seems relentless. You can take that as a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Let the enemy's attack move you to greater faith. We're so glad you joined us today. The book of Nehemiah is filled with wisdom for life and leadership in a broken world, and you won't want to miss a moment. If you've already missed one, that's okay. You can head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com, to pick up the ones you missed. There's also a link to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, stop by and see us. You can find all the information you need, including directions and service times, on that same website. Don't forget to head over to assurehoperadio.com. There's so much more waiting for you there. Well, thanks for coming today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time with more from A Sure Hope.